sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him to minister to us tonight as we examine his word. Lord Jesus, we ask tonight that you would touch our hearts and our minds as we examine your word. I pray that you will deal with my heart and my mind and my spirit, my whole being tonight, Lord, that your, your word is a sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the innermost part of man, gets down to the root of every issue. And Lord, I just pray tonight that your word would strengthen us and encourage us in each and every one of our lives. I'm thankful for everyone who's taken the time to come tonight, and I want them to be encouraged by your word. I pray that this time would be fruitful in each and every one of our lives as we examine your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I have uh, some notes there for you. If should have received a copy. I tried to fit it all in two pages, so it's not the largest print. I tried to leave a little space in case you wanted to make little notes. But we're going to just examine Psalm 1 today. Uh, just felt this passage on my heart the last couple of days. I was praying about what to examine tonight in His Word. And we are needing increasingly in our day to be rooted and grounded in God's Word. And uh, just as the slide there says, we want to be delighting in God's Word. We want to be planted and fruitful like a tree by the water. So as we examine this passage of Scripture tonight, we'll find out how to do that. Okay? So the first verse, Psalm 1-1 said, Blessed is the man... Now, there is your first clue that you want to pay attention. Because we all want to be blessed, right? Blessed means supremely happy or fulfilled. Supremely happy or fulfilled. How many people, including us, are searching for supreme happiness and fulfillment? Pretty much everyone, I believe. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word is actually a plural word, which denotes either a multiplicity of blessings or an intensification of blessings. Blessed is the man. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 112.1 says, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. And finally, Deuteronomy 28.2 said, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. If we want to be happy and fulfilled in life, we need to heed the instruction of, of God's word, and we need to have the God of Jacob as our help. Not just any God, but the God of Jacob. It goes on to tell us uh, some things not to do if we are going to be blessed. It says that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And let me be clear in the beginning that we should certainly love and respect people that are ungodly. We should befriend people that are ungodly. We should try our best to show them the love of Jesus, hoping they will repent and be saved. We should be humble and meek and kind. But they should not be our primary source of advice. And this is a little sneaky because... We may not think we are, but social media is another form of advice. We have to be careful that we're not making important decisions based on advice from people that are ungodly. And I'm not talking about choosing your carpet. 
Or your flavor of ice cream at Baskin and Robbins, the worker, you say, sorry, you can't choose my flavor. I don't know if you're saved or not. You might be ungodly. I don't want to be ridiculous about this. But anything that is an important issue, anything that could be possibly life-changing, and anything that is just starting you in a little different direction. Because you know, you know, people don't become murderers overnight. There's a direction somewhere they deviate. So we need to be careful that we are making our decisions based on godly advice. And this may even sound like manipulation and control to some that are not part of God's kingdom. Uh, You just have to do what they tell you all the time. Right? I don't know if you ever heard that, but I've heard that. But the fact is, they're most likely not making every decision on their own. They have people, they make decisions based on their advice. So therefore, it's not a control issue, it's a trust issue. And it's wise to put our trust in people who are following Jesus. Because we have a different set of priorities. We have a different compass and a different map that we are using to navigate this life. It also means that the righteous man knows how to discern the counsel of the ungodly. And again, if we've ever needed discernment, it's today. Because that which is evil is being called good, and that which is good is being called evil. The Bible said that would happen, and it's happening. So we need discernment to understand if we are getting good advice or not. Because there are experts everywhere. God will give us discernment if we ask Him. I believe it. God will answer that prayer. So we need to be praying on a regular basis, God, help me discern what is godly counsel and what is ungodly counsel. A righteous man is also discerning enough to know the counsel of the ungodly can include the counsel from myself. Because <laughs> the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? We're deceived by our own selves sometimes. We think it's a good idea. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the way the ends thereof is death. So we have to have discernment about ungodly counsel and we need God to even reveal within us when I'm making a decision based on what I think is right that's not really a good idea and that's why accountability is so good because it helps me be in check with other people that might will talk to me and say you might want to reconsider that that doesn't sound like the best idea let's pray about that a little bit Psalm 128.1 gives us advice about what we can do rather than walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Again, that means reverences Him and trusts Him. Who walks in His ways. So rather than walk in the counsel of the ungodly, walk in His ways. And that's again why the Word of God is so important because we don't know which way to walk without the map right God's word is our map in this life God's word is always the best counselor and godly counselors will always bring the truth of God's word to help someone who wants counseling it will be a lot less of their opinion and a lot more of God's word if it's a godly counselor It goes on to say, we're spending a little bit more time on these because we want to avoid these things. Nor stands in the path of sinners. So if you're going to be blessed, you can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners. When we begin to listen to and dwell upon counsel of the ungodly, soon we will be standing in the same way. In other words, we'll begin behaving in the same way as sinners. 
And I know we're all sinners saved by grace. But I'm talking about those who are far from God and not making an attempt to follow Him. The progression of walk, stand, and sit can be expressed as first we think it, then we behave like it, and then we belong. Walk, stand, and sit. Think, behave, and belong. There's a progression of sin. We begin by listening and thinking about ungodly counsel and it leads to behaving like and standing in the same way, in the same path as the ungodly. The path speaks of a way, a road, a direction. And the righteous man is not traveling the same direction as sinners. Maybe on Highway 26 sometimes. But in our moral compass, our direction, in our spiritual being, we need to be traveling in a different way. The righteous man is not afraid to take a less traveled road because he knows it leads to blessing, to happiness, and eternal life. Follow righteousness. Matthew 7.13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And we want to do our best to get as many people, by the grace of God, into this gate of eternal life. But the fact is, the Bible says there are many that go the opposite way. And we don't want to follow the crowd for sake of popularity reasons. Just because the majority of people are doing it doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing. Anytime I can agree with the crowd and be in, in, uh, in unity with the crowd, I'm, I'm happy about that. I don't like walking against the crowd just to, for sake of doing it. I don't enjoy being a rebel or an outcast for sake of being one. But certainly if the crowd is going a path of destruction, I don't want to be heading that way. And we can have confidence that Psalm 1611 tells us you will show me the path of life if we will pray and ask God he will show us the path of life and in his presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore God will show us the path if we will seek his counsel he won't leave us hanging he won't say you know what you just need to figure it out on your own he'll show us but we've got to seek it We have to ask Him for His counsel and to walk in the path of life. I'm glad there's a path of life that Jesus has made for each and every one of us. Amen? Finally, this progression starts out again with just listening to counsel and considering the counsel and eventually starting to behave in that way and then It comes to the point where we're completely stationary. We just decide we're going to go ahead and sit here. And we're going to stay here in the seat of the scornful. And when I was a kid, I didn't know what scornful meant, but it didn't sound like a comfortable seat anyways. I don't know why, just scornful doesn't sound like a comforting word. But if we're going to be blessed, we can't sit in the seat of the scornful. The scornful love to sit and criticize the people of God and the things of God. The righteous man will not sit in that seat. The armchair preacher. The armchair Christian. It's easy to sit in your chair and say what they should be doing when they're out there doing the job. And the people... We love to sit around and criticize. But that's not the godly course that we should be taking. When others are putting down Christians for living lives of righteousness, it can be easy to criticize them or just be silent altogether and not defend the Christian way of life. It's easy because there are many things to criticize about Christians because we're not perfect, right? We don't claim to be perfect. That's why we come to church. 
That's why we ask Jesus to save us. Because we acknowledge we are imperfect. So criticizing Christians who are not perfect is really just a cop-out. To say, I don't need to do anything because they're not perfect. No, you need to trust Jesus because He is the way to eternal life. And the same principle applies to criticism of our own local body of believers here, Living Waters Fellowship. It's one thing to discuss how to improve things with the right spirit and attitude. We're always looking for ways to improve our approach, our methods. But just sitting around and being critical and talking bad about people and about things is not productive. And it's flat out wrong. Don't assume the seat of the scornful. Be careful about mocking the things of God. Ishmael mocked his brother Isaac and he was kicked out of his father's house for it. I don't want my father to kick me out. I want to stay in the house. (laughs) So I need to make sure I'm not mocking his children because in mocking his children, I just might be mocking him. Because if they're really doing what the father says, I'm not mocking them, I'm mocking him. So we have to be careful. This progression happens of walking, standing, and sitting. It starts off just listening to ungodly advice and then Pretty soon you're living that way and eventually you're so far away from the things of God, you're making fun of them. Any of us could end up there if we're not careful. But thankfully, there is a remedy. Thankfully, we can all avoid this path of destruction. And it begins with verse 2. We have the what not to do, now we have the what to do. Delight in the law of the Lord. And in His law He meditates day and night. And I would say, pat yourself on the back, because you're here. You're delighting in the Lord, or else you wouldn't be here. Right? So you can pat yourself on the back a little bit. I know that may feel like we're a little bit proud or something there, but you've got to learn to pat yourself every once in a while. Don't pat yourself till you get a bruise but it's okay to acknowledge you're doing something right tonight you're doing something that's pleasing to God he loves that you're here to learn more about his word and not to say we can't have any other delights in life We can't have any other information we delight to read. You know, there might be a certain magazine or a certain publication or a certain author that their new book comes out or that new issue comes out and you are just, you are beelining it to the store or to Amazon to buy it or wherever you go because you are delighted to see what it has to say. And that book is a page turner. You stay up till three in the morning because you can't put it down. You know, you got to get up at five. You, you know you only get two hours of sleep, but man, you've got to figure out what happens. Because you're delighting in reading it. You're delighting in finding out where it's going and what's happening. And that's okay to have things in life that are like that besides the Bible. But it would be a lack of balance or priority if we felt that way about something else in Our Bible just collects dust. Because if we're going to be blessed, the Word of God should be our primary delight. If a person delights in something, you don't have to beg them to do it or to like it. They'll do it all by themselves. And if they really delight in something that's not even good for them, they might do it and get in trouble for it just because they don't care. Because they delight in it. And they're going to enjoy every moment of it. And the Word of God has a unique quality. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. It satisfies. And it leaves you longing for more. All in the same time reading it. 
You're satisfied as you're reading it and you're saying, I want more. And you want more and more. And the way to really get hungry for the Word of God is just start eating it. And in the law, he meditates day and night. The person who is blessed delights in the law of the Lord to the point where, again, he meditates in it day and night. The righteous man, the righteous woman ponders the word of God. They don't just hear it and forget about it. They think about it. Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty your mind. This is dangerous because an empty mind may present an open invitation to deception. Or a spirit you don't want to be attached to you. But in Christian meditation, the goal is not to empty your mind, it's to fill your mind with the Word of God. And this can be done by carefully thinking about each word and phrase and applying it to one's life, asking the Lord for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You could chew on a verse all day long and there's still a lot left by the time you go to sleep. And Spurgeon cited a source of a man named Ashwood. He said, Meditation chews the cud and gets the sweetness and nutritive value and virtue of every word into the heart and life. This is the way the godly bring forth much fruit by meditating on, by focusing on and thinking on the Word of God. Many people lack because they only read the Word of God and they do not meditate on it. Reading it does us good, but the soul inwardly feeding on it and digesting it is much better. A person once told Spurgeon that he had read the Bible through 20 times on his knees. And he never found the doctrine of salvation there. Very likely, Spurgeon said, very likely you wouldn't find it because on your knees is a very uncomfortable position in which to read. And if you had sat in an easy chair, you would have been enjoying what you're doing a lot more and maybe understanding it. In other words, don't approach Bible study like speed reading. Okay, I got my reading done for the day. I can go read something I really actually want to read. I can go do something else. Like when your mom says eat vegetables and you plug your nose and you chew as fast as you can and you swallow it and you almost choke. Because you're speaking. I ate it. You didn't really enjoy it though, did you? That's not how we approach the Word of God, or we shouldn't. But we should cherish it. We should savor it. We should throw our head every my head back every once in a while and just ah, sigh in it. Daydream about it. Think about the word of God. A righteous person only thinks about the word of God two times a day, day and night. And that pretty much covers it. When we learn to meditate on the Word of God like that, rather than the counsel of the ungodly, the Word of God will produce character in us that's found in verse 3. We shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. And just came to mind, I don't have it in my notes, but the only verse in the Bible, at least in the New King James Version, that has the word success, I believe it's Joshua 1.8. And it talks about if you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, you will have success. Everybody wants to know, how do I have success in this life? The Word of God will show you how to have success to the point that whatever you do will prosper. So if we learn to meditate on God's Word, we shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. A tree by a river has a continually source, a continual source of water. It will never wither away. 
Because it's always getting what it needs. If we are constantly needy, it may be worth examining if we're planted by the river of water or not. If we're constantly needy, it may be worthy of examining whether we're planted by the river of water or not. I'm not saying you'll never need anything from anybody else. But if you just can't help but be needy 24 hours a day, you just might be too far from the river. That's just a freebie. This would also be a tree that is strong and stable. Sinking down deep roots. The life of a righteous person is marked by strength and stability. Again, we need to be strong and stable. We'll get more to that shortly. But strength and stability comes from being planted by the rivers of water, being closely connected to Jesus Christ in His Word. It also goes on to say that you'll bring forth fruit in its season. The righteous person bears fruit, such as the fruit of the Spirit, such as reproducing spiritual fruit by helping other people to be saved, brought into the kingdom of God. And this fruit comes naturally from this tree because, again, it's planted by the rivers of water. It's abiding in its life source. Just like John 15.5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears how much fruit? Much fruit. We will bear a lot of fruit when we are abiding in Jesus Christ. For without me, you can do nothing. Again, people are running around accomplishing a lot of things in this life, but if they're doing it without Christ, they're really accomplishing nothing because the only things that really matter are eternal things. So without Him, you can't do anything of eternal value. So let's be plugged in so we can do much for Him and bear much fruit. Fruit also has a season. Notice how it says in season. Sometimes we get discouraged. I'll put my hand up first. When we begin to walk as we should and the fruit doesn't immediately grow. Where is my apple? I just put the seed in the ground yesterday. I want some apples for a pie. It doesn't happen that fast. And because we're microwave society, because we're drive through mentality, we expect everything to be instant. But fruit comes in its season. We need to be patient and keep our hope alive, knowing that if we will continue to stay rooted in Him, fruit will come in due season. It's a law of God. Trapp said there are no barren trees in God's orchard. There are no barren trees in God's orchard. And yet they may have their fits of barrenness. As an apple tree sometimes does. But they will flourish with time. Okay, There's no barren trees in God's orchard, but that doesn't mean we're always all going to be producing great fruit. There's seasons. There's circumstances. But if we'll just stay rooted in time, we will flourish. Whose leaf shall not wither like most of the grass around here. Brown, dead. Withered leaves are signs of death and dryness. And the righteous man does not have these signs because... His leaves are green and alive, being planted by the river. And whatever he does shall prosper. It isn't that the righteous man has the Midas touch. 
And everything he does makes him rich and comfortable. But in the life of the righteous person, God brings forth something good and wonderful out of everything. Even tough circumstances bring something that will prosper in the end. So even if you're in the middle of a situation that seems impossible, or you're thinking, how could anything good come out of this? Hand it over to God and watch something good come out of it. I don't know how he does it, but he does it every time. And you might even say, well, I'm the one that got me in this situation. Doesn't matter. If you'll surrender it to God, he'll bring something good out of it. Even if it was me that was stupid enough to get there. If I surrender it, he takes something and makes it beautiful. It's just what God does. The key word being surrender. If we don't surrender in the situation, we don't have that promise. But if we do surrender, all things are working together for good. And that's the kind of person I want to be. Prospering. Not withering, but being fruitful. And it all starts by delighting in His Word. Delighting in His Word. Verse 4 goes on to give us a little bit more warning. It says, The ungodly are not so. All these good things that were just mentioned in verse 3, the ungodly are not so. But they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And sometimes it may seem like the ungodly have a life to be envied. We may look at somebody in this life that we can seem to perceive, if not by their fruit, by their actual words, they could care less about following the Word of God And yet, they seem to be prospering on every hand. Maybe even an enemy of yours. Someone who is mean or rude or despitefully uses you or makes fun of your Christianity. And they seem to be prospering on every hand. But we need the eyes to see they are not really prospering. Not in anything eternal anyways. They may have temporal blessings. They may have enough stuff to to have to give away a lot of what they have just to keep up with all their new stuff. But are all those things temporary or eternal? But we're not the first ones to struggle with this. David in Psalm 73, if you want to read the details of it later, begins by saying he was envious of the boastful. When he saw the prosperity of the wicked. David was envious of the wicked. In their their prosperity. And he goes through and several verses talks about his jealousy and his envy. And his grappling with understanding. Trying to figure out how these wicked people could be prospering. And a few verses later... He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I was really jealous of all the stuff they had, and then I went to church. Or I went to the prayer closet, or I went to the Word of God, and I saw their end. And I said, why am I jealous of that? Why am I jealous of someone who is not going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Again, hopefully that person repents. Hopefully the ungodly come to their senses and and find salvation and eternal life. It's not a boastful thing to say that. It's not an arrogant thing to think I'm somehow better. I'm not. But it's an acknowledgement that if they continue in their ungodly ways... The so-called fruits of their life are not fruits that we should really be so focused on. But we should be focused on eternal life. 
Don't be envious of the ungodly. Instead of being a stable tree, a strong tree that would withstand the wind and the storm, they are called chaff. Spurgeon says chaff is intrinsically worthless. It's dead. It's unserviceable without substance and easily carried away. There's a huge difference between a strong, healthy tree and chaff. And chaff is a light shell around a kernel of corn which must be stripped away before the kernel of grain can be ground into flour. Chaff was the light. It was light enough that it could be separated from the grain by throwing a scoopful into the wind and letting the wind drive away the chaff. Throw the corn in the air and the wind will separate the chaff and blow it away. Chaff seems maybe prospering in the moment, maybe strong in the moment, but cannot withstand the slightest of a breeze. And Ephesians 4, 14-15 encourages us to not be so. That we should no longer be children. There are times in the Bible where we're told to be as children. In our innocence, in our faith. and It's not despising children, but it's talking about a chronological age of maturity. Don't be a child in your spiritual maturity anymore. Because when you're a child, you're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. So we have to be so careful because there's a lot of trickery of men going on, a lot of cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, and maybe sometimes these people are consciously aware that they are deceiving others, and sometimes they think it's their own idea, but really it's the idea and the spawn of Satan. But it's deceiving people. And we're encouraged not to be like this. If we will be in the Word, we will not be Deceived. The counterfeit experts for monetary exchange don't have to study all the counterfeits, they just have to study the real thing really good. In America, they just have to know the American currency really well. When they know that what that dollar bill is supposed to be like, they can spot a fake. They don't have to study all the the fakes. They just have to study the real one and it will reveal the fake one. And so if we really study the Word of God, we don't have to run around trying to figure out what everybody believes in the world. We just have to really know what the Bible says. And when we really know the Bible, we won't be deceived because someone will come to us with something, even if they're claiming it's the Word of God, and our little radar will go, nope. We can be kind on the exterior. We can remain smiling. But inside I'm saying, not going to happen. That's not Jesus. Again, not with arrogance. Not with pride. Be kind, but don't swallow it. Be as kind as you can, but don't eat it. There was a a pastor who was pastoring up in Alaska at the time and a lady in their church did not make good food. But she loved to share it with the world. And it was not only not good tasting, but it was unsanitary. And so they didn't want to offend this poor lady. She was trying her best. And it was the wisdom of God. They nicknamed their garbage can Spot. They took the food home she gave them, put it in Spot, and when she asked them how it was the next service, that food really hit the Spot, sister. (laughs) 
Now, that's how we need to be with people who are trying to lie to us. Be nice about it, as you can. God, give me wisdom to know how I can be as kind as possible, but I'm not eating that food. I'm not going to put my life in danger to make this lady happy. Verse 5 goes on to say, If I ever tell you food hit the spot... <laughs> I done revealed it. I'm gonna nickname the garbage can something else. Come up with something else. And name it stomach. Food filled up my stomach. Verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, again, we say these things with godly fear and desire that the godly would change their position here because on judgment day, All these people that stand now and defy God with their arrogance and pride, that refuse to humble themselves, one day every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All these people trying to take it out of schools, all these people trying to take it out of our society, All these people who are literally chopping off the heads for the name of Christ, people claiming Jesus Christ, one day they're going to bow their knees and they're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is supreme. He is ruler of everything. Not just Christian knees, but every knee will bow. They're not going to be able to stand in judgment. On judgment day, they will bow. And so the question really is, bow then or bow now? And I would rather bow now. Because then, it's a different kind of bow. It's not a bow of regret and remorse, but it's a bow to our King. The one we allowed to be our King in earth. Belshazzar had been weighed in the balances and was found wanting. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. And really, I don't want that to be my worst enemy. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is true both in the future, because sinners will not share the same glorious future of the righteous. But it's also true in the present, because Sinners since they do not belong in the congregation of the righteous and they don't want to be there if they insist on remaining sinners. Now, if people come into our church and they have not come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we want them to feel welcome and to know that Jesus loves them and wants to save them. But if people come and they refuse to change, I don't know why they would come. It makes no sense to me. Why you would come to a church with an attitude that says, I won't really follow what Jesus says to do. Why would you come? Unless you're made to come. You know, you might be a child. But if you're an adult, why would you come? Pretty soon, that person is most likely going to get tired of it here, go out those doors and leave. That's not our desire. We want them to be saved. But they're not going to be comfortable in the congregation of the righteous if they choose to remain sinners. If they want to change, then I pray that this feels just like home. It's not God's desire or our desire that they would leave, but they're not going to stick around too long. And just for your own benefit and understanding, if you're being really kind and nice and you can't figure out why people still don't want to be around you, 
It may just be that your life is convicting them. Again, I'm not saying be rude and jerk and then be like, oh yeah, they just couldn't handle my anointing. Just couldn't, couldn't stick around me and I'm so full of the Holy Ghost. No, you're just rude and a jerk. That's all. No one wants to be around you. But if you're being kind and loving and people are just like coming up with left, excuses left and right why they don't want to be with you, it could just be that they don't want to embrace the life that God is challenging them to live and you might remind them a little bit of what God is challenging them to do in their life. And they're not ready. Hopefully they will be ready later. And finally, verse 6, we'll conclude with this tonight. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's a finality there. The way of the ungodly shall perish. The psalmist, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is wanting us to understand do not go that way because the end is death. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. We can have peace because a loving just God knows our way. Or as the Hebrew has it more fully, the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. It's an ongoing knowledge. He is constantly looking at our way. And though it may often be in the midst of darkness and it may seem like we'd have no clue where we're at and God must not know where we're at. The Lord knows exactly where we are. Job said it very succinctly in chapter 23 and verse 9 through 10. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. I can't see him. I don't know where he's at. But he knows the way that I take. He knows right where I am in the midst of my problem. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Again, I may be really disliking my life right now, but God forbid I would turn around and start looking to the ungodly for direction because I'm dissatisfied with where I'm at in Jesus Christ. Stick to the Word. Stick to following Jesus because He knows the way that you take. And when this trial's over, you'll come forth as gold. On the other hand, the end of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the ungodly leads to destruction. They're on a broad path that seems comfortable now and has a lot of company, but in the end shall perish. Noah was building his ark. He was following the way of righteousness. The Bible even called it preaching righteousness. It said Noah preached righteousness. Noah walked in righteousness, but he didn't just walk a silent walk. He openly declared his righteousness. And it's hard to be a closet Christian when you're building an ark. You can't just hide out. I mean, you're putting this monstrosity in your front yard or wherever it was that he was building it. You can't really hide it. And you had the mockers and the scoffers that would come by and Say their things, I'm sure. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure, but I would imagine so. Making fun of what he's doing. It hadn't even rained before. How's water going to get up here? Down there. It doesn't make sense, Noah. 
But Noah kept walking in the way of righteousness. He kept heeding the word of God, even when it didn't make sense. And when it came the day to go inside the ark, after Noah had followed every direction, specifically as God had instructed him to do, he got on the ark, and it said that God shut the door of the ark. God shut the door of the ark, and after that, no one else could get in. All of those ungodly people that Noah probably had a temptation to envy at times perished in the flood. Not because they didn't have opportunity, but because they chose to resist the word of God, the counsel of the godly. And they chose to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of sinners and sit in the seat of the scornful. We can stand tonight if you're okay with that and close in prayer. Again, it's a challenging passage of Scripture. Whenever we consider things like this, it makes us really consider our life. But again, you shouldn't leave with condemnation tonight because you willingly came here. You showed up to the house of the Lord and you said... I'm going to learn from the word of the Lord. And it, it excites me that our church is growing and our, especially that we have more people coming Tuesday night because again, sometimes in our day and age you feel like you have to like have a special entertainment to get people to show up. You have to stand on your head and do cartwheels and spin around and maybe have some special entertainer come in. Sarah's not doing that. That's okay. But really what it comes down to is, are we hungry enough for the Word of God to show up and receive and to learn? And again, you've done that tonight. You've done that. So you can leave tonight as we pray, feeling like you've taken another step towards eternal life. Every time we read the Bible, every time we do something the Bible encourages us to do, Every time we sit down with a brother or a sister that we know is trying to follow Jesus Christ, that loves us, and we say, let's, let's figure out what would be the right thing to do. and Let's figure out what God's Word would tell us to do in this situation. You're taking another step towards eternal life. Amen. Lord, we're thankful again to be together. Thankful for the encouragement of everyone who's here tonight because... We need each other in this last day.